Chapter Four, Part One of the Prairie Traveller. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Prairie Traveller by Randolph B. Marcy. Chapter Four, Part One. Packing, saddles, Mexican method, madrina or bell mare, attachment of the mule illustrated, best method of packing, hoppling animals, selecting horses and mules, grandma and bunch grass. Packing and driving. With a train of pack animals, properly organized and equipped, a party may travel with much comfort and celerity. It is enabled to take short cuts and move over the country in almost any direction without regard to roads. Mountains and broken ground may easily be traversed, and exemption is gained from many of the troubles and detentions attendant upon the transit of cumbersome wagon trains. One of the most essential requisites to the outfit of a pack train is a good pack saddle. Various patterns are in use, many of which are mere instruments of torture upon the backs of the poor brutes, lacerating them cruelly and causing continued pain. The Mexican use a leathern pack saddle without a tree. It is stuffed with hay and is very large, covering almost the entire back and extending far down the sides. It is secured with a broad hair girth, and the load is kept in position by a lash rope drawn by two men so tight as to give the unfortunate beast intense suffering. A pack saddle is made by T. Grimsley, number 41 Main Street, St. Louis, Missouri. It is open at the top with a light, compact, and strong tree which fits the animal's back well and is covered with rawhide, put on green, and drawn tight by the contraction in drying. It has a leathern breast strap, breeching, and lash strap, with a broad hair girth fastened in the Mexican fashion. Of sixty-five of these saddles that I used in crossing the Rocky Mountains, over an exceedingly rough and broken section, not one of them wounded a mule's back, and I regard them as the best saddles I have ever seen. No people probably are more familiar with the art of packing than the Mexicans. They understand the habits, disposition, and powers of the mule perfectly, and will get more work out of him than any other men I have ever seen. The mule and the donkey are to them as the camel to the Arab, their porters over deserts and mountains where no other means of transportation can be used to advantage. The Spanish Mexicans are, however, cruel masters, having no mercy upon their beasts, and it is no uncommon thing for them to load their mules with the enormous burden of three or four hundred pounds. These muleteers believe that when the pack is firmly lashed, the animal supports his burden better and travels with greater ease, which seems quite probable, as the tension forms, as it were, an external sheath supporting and bracing the muscles. It also has a tendency to prevent the saddle from slipping and chafing the mule's back. With such huge cargas as the Mexicans load upon their mules, it is impossible by any precautions to prevent their backs and withers from becoming horribly mangled, and it is common to see them working their animals day after day in this miserable plight. This heavy packing causes the scars that so often mark Mexican mules. The animal, in starting out from camp in the morning, groaning under the weight of his heavy burden, seems hardly able to move, but the pack soon settles and so loosens the lashing that after a short time he moves along with more ease. Constant care and vigilance on the part of the muleteers are necessary to prevent the packs from working loose and falling off. The adjustment of a carga upon a mule does not, however, detain the caravan, as the others move on while it is being righted. If the mules are suffered to halt, they are apt to lie down, and it is very difficult for them, with their loads, to rise. Besides, they are likely to strain themselves in their efforts to do so. The Mexicans, in travelling with large caravans, usually make the day's march without nooning, as too much time would be consumed in unloading and packing up again. Packs, when taken off in camp, should be piled in a row upon the ground, and if there be a prospect of rain, the saddles should be placed over them, and the whole covered with the saddle blankets or canvas. The muleteers and herders should be mounted upon well-trained horses, and be careful to keep the animals of the caravan from wandering or scattering along the road. 
this can easily be done by having some of the men riding upon each side and others in the rear of the caravan in herding mules it is customary among prairie travellers to have a bell mare to which the mules soon become so attached that they will follow her wherever she goes by keeping her in charge of one of the herdsmen the herds are easily controlled and during a stampede if the herdsman mounts her and rushes ahead toward camp they will generally follow in crossing rivers the bell mare should pass first after which the mules are easily induced to take to the water and pass over even if they have to swim mules are good swimmers unless they happen by plunging off a high bank to get water in their ears when they are often drowned whenever a mule in the water drops his ears it is a sure indication that he has water in them and he should be taken out as soon as possible to prevent accidents of this nature where the water is deep and the banks abrupt the mule herds should be allowed to enter slowly and without crowding as otherwise they are not only likely to get their heads under water but to throw each other over and get injured the madrina or bell mare acts a most important part in a herd of mules and is regarded by experienced campaigners as indispensable to their security she is selected for her quiet and regular habits she will not wander far from the camp if she happen to have a colt by her side this is no objection as the mules soon form the most devoted attachment to it i have often seen them leave their grazing when very hungry and flock around a small colt manifesting their delight by rubbing it with their noses licking it with their tongues kicking up their heels and making a variety of other grotesque demonstrations of affection while the poor little colt perfectly unconscious of the cause of these ungainly caresses stood trembling with fear but unable to make his escape from the compact circle of his mulish admirers horses and asses are also used as bell animals and the mules soon become accustomed to following them if a man leads or rides a bell animal in advance the mules follow like so many dogs in the most orderly procession after travelling about fourteen miles says bayard taylor we were joined by three miners and our mules taking a sudden liking for their horses jogged on at a more brisk pace the instincts of the mulish heart form an interesting study to the traveller in the mountains i would were the comparison not too ungallant liken it to a woman's for it is quite as uncertain in its sympathies bestowing its affections when least expected and when bestowed quite as constant so long as the object is not taken away sometimes a horse sometimes an ass captivates the fancy of a whole drove of mules but often an animal nowise akin lieutenant beale told me that his whole train of mules once galloped off suddenly on the plains of the cimarron and ran half a mile when they halted in apparent satisfaction the cause of their freak was found to be a buffalo calf which had strayed from the herd they were frisking around it in the greatest delight rubbing their noses against it throwing up their heels and making themselves ridiculous by abortive attempts to neigh and bray while the calf unconscious of its attractive qualities stood trembling in their midst if several large troops says charles darwin are turned into one field to graze in the morning the muleteer has only to lead the madrinas a little apart and tinkle their bells and although there may be two hundred or three hundred mules together each immediately knows its own bell and separates itself from the rest the affection of these animals for their madrina saves infinite trouble it is nearly impossible to lose an old mule for if detained several hours by force she will by the power of smell like a dog track out her companions or rather the madrina for according to the muleteer she is the chief object of affection the feeling however is not of an individual nature for i believe i am right in saying that any animal with a bell will serve as a madrina of the attachment that a mule will form for a horse i will cite an instance from my own observation 
which struck me at the time as being one of the most remarkable and touching evidences of devotion that i have ever known among brute creation on leaving fort leavenworth with the army for utah in eighteen fifty seven one of the officers rode a small mule whose kind and gentle disposition soon caused him to become a favorite among the soldiers and they named him billy as this officer and myself were often thrown together upon the march the mule in the course of a few days evinced a growing attachment for a mare that i rode the sentiment was not however reciprocated on her part and she intimated as much by the reversed position of her ears and the free exercise of her feet and teeth whenever billy came within her reach but these signal marks of displeasure instead of discouraging rather seemed to increase his devotion and whenever at liberty he invariably sought to get near her and appeared much distressed when not permitted to follow her on leaving camp scott for new mexico billy was among the number of mules selected for the expedition during the march i was in the habit when starting out from camp in the morning of leading off the party and directing the packman to hold the mule until i should get so far in advance with the mare that he could not see us but the moment he was released he would in spite of all the efforts of the packers start off at a most furious pace and never stop or cease braying until he reached the mare's side we soon found it impossible to keep him with the other mules and he was finally permitted to have his own way in the course of time we encountered the deep snows in the rocky mountains where the animals could get no forage and billy in common with the others at length became so weak and jaded that he was unable any longer to leave his place in the caravan and break a track through the snow around to the front he made frequent attempts to turn out and force his way ahead but after numerous unsuccessful efforts he would fall down exhausted and set up a most mournful braying the other mules soon began to fail and to be left worn out and famished to die by the wayside it was not however for some time that billy showed symptoms of becoming one of the victims until one evening after our arrival at camp i was informed that he had dropped down and been left upon the road during the day the men all deplored his loss exceedingly as his devotion to the mayor had touched their kind hearts and many expressions of sympathy were uttered around their bivouac fires that evening much to our surprise however about ten o'clock just as we were about going to sleep we heard a mule braying about half a mile to the rear upon our trail sure enough it proved to be billy who after having rested had followed upon our track and overtaken us as soon as he reached the side of the mare he lay down and seemed perfectly contented the next day i relieved him from his pack and allowed him to run loose but during the march he gave out and was again abandoned to his fate and this time we certainly never expected to see him more to our great astonishment however about twelve o'clock that night the sonorous but not very musical notes of billy in the distance aroused us from our slumbers and again announced his approach in an instant the men were upon their feet gave three hearty cheers and rushed out in a body to meet and escort him into camp but this well-meant ovation elicited no response from him he came reeling and floundering along through the deep snow perfectly regardless of these honors pushing aside all those who occupied the trail or interrupted his progress in the least wandered about till he found the mare dropped down by her side and remained until morning when we resumed our march on the following day he made another desperate effort to proceed but soon fell down exhausted when we reluctantly abandoned him and saw him no more alas poor billy your constancy deserved a better fate you may indeed be said to have been a victim to unrequited affection the articles to be transported should be made up into two packages of precisely equal weight and as nearly equal in bulk as practicable otherwise they will sway the saddle over to one side and cause it to chafe the animal's back the packages made two ropes about six feet long are fastened around the ends by a slip-knot 
and if the packages contain corn or other articles that will shift about, small sticks should be placed between the sacks and the ropes, which equalizes the pressure and keeps the packages snug. The ropes are then looped at the ends, and made precisely of the same length, so that the packs will balance and come up well toward the top of the saddle. Two men, then, each taking a pack, go upon opposite sides of the mule, that has been previously saddled, and raising the packs simultaneously, place the loops over the pommel and cantle, settling them well down into their places. The lashing strap is then thrown over the top, brought through the rings upon each side, and drawn as tight at every turn as the two men on the sides can pull it, and after having been carried back and forth diagonally across the packs as often as its length admits, generally three or four times, it is made fast to one of the rings, and securely tied in a slip-knot. The breast-strap and breeching must not be buckled so close as to chafe the skin. The girth should be broad and soft where it comes opposite the forelegs to prevent cutting them. Leather girth should be wrapped with cloth or bound with soft material. The hair girth, being soft and elastic, is much better than leather. The crupper should never be dispensed with in a mountainous country, but it must be soft, round, and about an inch in diameter where it comes in contact with the tail. Otherwise it will wound the animal in making long and abrupt descents. In Norway they use a short round stick about ten inches long which passes under the tail, and from each end of this a cord connects with the saddle. Camp kettles, tin vessels, and other articles that will rattle and be likely to frighten animals should be firmly lashed to the packs. When the packs work loose, the lash strap should be untied, and a man upon each side draw it up again and make it fast. When ropes are used for lashing, they may be tightened by twisting them with a short stick and making the stick fast. One hundred and twenty-five pounds is a sufficient load for a mule upon a long journey. In travelling over a rocky country, and upon all long journeys, horses and mules should be shod to prevent their hoofs wearing out or breaking. The mountaineers contend that beasts travel better without shoeing, but I have several times had occasion to regret the omission of this very necessary precaution. A few extra shoes and nails with a small hammer will enable travellers to keep their animals shod. In turning out pack animals to graze, it is well either to keep the lariat ropes upon them with the ends trailing upon the ground, or to hopple them, as no corral can be made into which they may be driven in order to catch them. A very good way to catch an animal without driving him into an enclosure is for two men to take a long rope and stretch it out at the height of the animal's neck. Some men then drive him slowly up against it, when one of the men with the rope runs around behind the animal and back to the front again, thus taking a turn with the rope around his neck and holding him secure. To prevent an animal from kicking, take a forked stick and make the forked part fast to the bridle bit, bringing the two ends above the head and securing them there, leaving the part of the stick below the fork of sufficient length to reach near the ground when the animal's head is in its natural position. He cannot kick up unless he lowers his head, and the stick effectually prevents that. Tether ropes should be so attached to the neck of the animal as not to slip and choke him, and the picket pins never be left on the ropes except when in the ground, as, in the event of a stampede, they are very likely to swing around and injure the animals. Many experienced travelers were formerly in the habit of securing their animals with a strap or iron ring fastened around the fetlock of one forefoot, and this attached to the tether rope. This method holds the animal very securely to the picket pin, but when the rope is first put on, and before he becomes accustomed to it, he is liable to throw himself down and get hurt, so that I think the plan of tethering by the neck or halter is the safest, and so far as I have observed, is now universally practiced. The mountaineers and Indians seldom tether their animals, but prefer the plan of hoppling, as this gives them more latitude for ranging and selecting the choicest grass. Two methods of hoppling are practiced among the Indians and hunters of the West, one with a strap about two feet long buckling around the forelegs above the fetlock joints, 
the other is what they term the side hopple which is made by buckling a strap around a front and rear leg upon the same side in both cases care should be taken not to buckle the strap so tight as to chafe the legs the latter plan is the best because the animal side hoppled is able to go but little faster than a walk while the front hopple permits him after a little practice to gallop off at considerable speed if the hopples are made of iron connected with chains like handcuffs with locks and keys it will be impossible for the indians without files to cut them but the parts that come in contact with the legs should be covered with soft leather a horse says mr galton may be hobbled with a stirrup leather by placing the middle around one leg then twisting it several times and buckling it round the other leg when you wish to picket horses in the middle of a sandy plain dig a hole two or three feet deep and tying your rope to a faggot of sticks or brushwood or even to a bag filled with sand bury this in it for prairie service horses which have been raised exclusively upon grass and never been fed on grain or range horses as they are called in the west are decidedly the best and will perform more hard labor than those that have been stabled and groomed the large stout ponies found among some of our frontier settlements are well adapted to this service and endure admirably the same remarks hold good in the choice of mules and it will be found that the square-built big-bellied and short-legged mexican mule will endure far more hard service on short allowance of forage than the larger american mule which has been accustomed to grain in our trip across the rocky mountains we had both the american and mexican mules and improved a good opportunity of giving their relative powers of endurance a thorough service trial for many days they were reduced to a meagre allowance of dry grass and at length got nothing but pine leaves while their work in the deep snow was exceedingly severe this soon told upon the american mules and all of them with the exception of two died while most of the mexican mules went through the result was perfectly conclusive we found that where the snow was not more than two feet deep the animals soon learned to paw it away and get at the grass of course they do not get sufficient in this way but they do much better than one would suppose in utah and new mexico the autumn is so dry that the grass does not lose its nutritious properties by being washed with rains it gradually dries and cures like hay so that animals eat it freely and will fatten upon it even in midwinter it is seldom that any grain is fed to stock in either of these territories several of the varieties of grass growing upon the slopes of the rocky mountains are of excellent quality among these may be mentioned the grama and bunch grasses horses and mules turned out to graze always prefer the grass upon the mountains sides to grass of the valleys we left new mexico about the first of march six weeks before the new grass appeared with fifteen hundred animals many of them low in flesh yet they improved upon the journey and on their arrival in utah were all with very few exceptions in fine working condition had this march been made at the same season in the country bordering upon the missouri river where there are heavy autumnal rains the animals would probably have become very poor in this journey the herds were allowed to range over the best grass that could be found but were guarded both night and day with great care whereas if they had been corralled or picketed at night i dare say they would have lost flesh footnote some curious and interesting experiments are said to have been recently made at the veterinary school at alfort near paris by order of the minister of war to ascertain the powers of endurance of horses it appears that a horse will live on water alone five-and-twenty days seventeen days without eating or drinking only five days if fed unwatered ten days if fed and insufficiently watered a horse kept without water for three days drank one hundred and four pounds of water in three minutes it was found that a horse taken immediately after feed and kept in the active exercise of the squadron school completely digested its feed in three hours in the same time in the conscript school its food was two-thirds digested 
and if kept perfectly quiet in the stable, its digestion was scarcely commenced in three hours. End of footnote. End of chapter four, part one.